Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. I mean, I know we're all small cogs in a big machine, aren't we? Um, but if I was a cog that was actually part of that, that whole machine that made that difference, and if it, that cog was taken out and the machine would have broken down, then that's, that's success to me. Today I'm talking to Caroline Longman, who is the account director for government at the UK's National Nuclear Laboratory. She lives in Oxfordshire with her husband, Guy, and three children, Mary, Benjamin and Ted. Welcome, Caroline. Hi. Lovely to have you join us. Yeah, pleased to be here. Good. So, Caroline, you were born and you grew up in Northampton and you went to Swansea University to read physics. Tell me a little bit about the young Caroline at school and what made you want to study physics at university? So... The decision to study physics um, is uh, at university is is really it, it, it's not very exciting. It was the subject that that I did least worst in. We did some mocks and I had this unexpected high grade, which I was really pleased with. And then at that point, it, it was decided that I should carry on doing physics, <laughs> and I did. And there was there wasn't really much thought beyond what you would do at university in a career or anything like that. It was just uh, all grand type degree and so I went for it without thinking about beyond 20 age 21 no thought whatsoever at that point. So were you always sort of on the science side of things compared with the sort of arty side of things? You know it just you just lean towards one or the other don't you? I didn't make any conscious decision about it I just seemed to get better grades in the sciences than I did in English and English Lit and better relationships with the teachers and and enjoyed it more so you kind of, it was a natural thing. There was no conscious decision. So, so that seemed like a natural next step, I guess, to go to university and do, do, do the physics that you were least worst at. Why, why did you choose Swansea University? Uh, they had good reputation for sciences at the time. I think they still do. And so it was quite far away from home, which I was quite happy with because <laughs> it was a bit of an adventure. So yeah, that's it. And, and they accepted me. And I got I got to do the degree, degree I wanted, so I just got on with it. There was about thirty people in our physics course, and I think four of us were girls. So it was I, I suspect it's much much more balanced now than it was then. So how did you feel when you sort of that sort of first day at university or the first time in the hall of residence and, and all that? Did it feel like a great big adventure? Yeah, because I, mean, I was quite sheltered up till then. I hadn't, you know, I'd been at the same school for all my life. And you, yeah, we went to halls. Gosh, we're going back now. Yeah, I mean, absolutely terrified. And then there was all the freshest stuff and choosing clubs and everything. You don't realise what an opportunity you've got then, do you? When you look, when you when you look at all these clubs and all these options you've got and things that you can join and everything else. And you've got three years to, you just, I wish you could have, do that again sort of in middle age and you'd make I think you'd make better use of it wouldn't you use of those opportunities <laughs> you probably would I think the thing I find is the friends you make at university are often the friends you have for life some of the closest friends you ever you ever make because you spend so much time together and uh, grow up together you know so how do you think you grew up during your, your three years at Swansea I suppose 
I, I, I mean, I got, I got a really good degree while I was there. I came out with a 2-1. But I did struggle with the subject and I struggled. It was, it was a massive change from doing an A-level physics to a degree. And I, I struggled with that a lot. And I got through those exams by just revising every single equation and learning. I remember learning Schrodinger's equation off by heart because I didn't, I, I was struggling with the, the kind of, some of the understanding of the topics, etc. So I got the degree out of pure hard work rather than it came naturally to me. So I probably realized that I wasn't an out and out kind of scientist, if you like. I wasn't going to be the next the next Einstein equation, whatever. But um, so I think I think I was really keen to to work and start work and see how I got on in the work environment. Yeah, I didn't want to do any more studying after that. I just wanted to I just wanted to work. So after you graduated, you you did move and you moved to London to the Medical Research Council, where you were doing some work on dizziness. What was that about? So it was a department of the Medical Research Council which focused, studied people that had kind of, they, they called it the dizzy clinic, but that had um, health problems related to dizziness. So we were trying to progress research in that area. And uh, so one half of the job was looking at, you know, we had this big kind of Sega machine that, like this big ball you sit in and you can rotate people at different, different, around different axes and you monitor their eye movements and, and that sort of thing. So we did quite a lot of that, which is really interesting, really interesting. And then once a week I helped out at the, the clinic across the road in the neurology hospital and they made me put on a white coat. And I, yeah, I, don't know, I was 21, I didn't know what I was doing and I put on a white coat. And I had to like spin people about in a chair who, who've got problems with dizziness. And I detached the electrodes. I had to attach le- electrodes to them. And I had a protocol where I had to press buttons and the chair would go backwards and forwards and then go 360 degrees. Um, so I followed this protocol every time with the patients. But quite often, they used to, because, because you were spinning them around, they used to, they used to be sick. And, and I couldn't, t- I remember this. And it's just throw a kidney because you know when someone's sick, you feel you're sick yourself aren't you so I used to literally throw a kidney tray at them and um, run out of the room <laughs> it's all coming back it's all coming back to me now it's like a counselling session it was quite traumatic so how did you get from the medical research council spinning people around up down left and right and round and round to do this masters in radiation and environmental protection at Surrey because they just seem like two completely different things but I guess was it was physics somehow the connection or what was the connection how did that happen it was a fixed term contract in London so I finished that and then I went I moved back home and my dad had a business in um, insurance so I went to work for him for a couple of years so you know it, it wasn't for me in the end of the day and I wanted to see what else I could do so I went to work from here for him there was grants available to go and do this masters at Guildford for radiation environmental protection and um, so I thought that's uh, that really interests me, and the the, uh, the the radiation part of it really interests me. And I had because I had the physics degree, I, I qualified to go on this course, so I applied. I got on the train, and I got on the train to go to the interview. And I was so nervous about this interview. I got on the train, and it was going. I got on the train the wrong direction. I was like, ah, oh. and and I was going to miss the interview. I was heading towards Birmingham, and then I just absolutely broke down. I was absolutely distraught. I was going to miss this interview, and I just went home. And I hid. I was. I'm not. It wasn't for me. That's it. Fate. And then she. They rang me, and they said, "What? What's happened? Where are you gone?" And I had. To, I said, oh, "I'm really sorry. I was ill. I did phone, and they said, oh, 
I'm really sorry, you know, uh, sorry you were ill, but we haven't, we'd still like you to come. And so they gave me a second chance. So I thought, oh, <laughs> so, so I got, um, so I got, uh, so, so I got the interview and I, and I, and I got that, um, I got, I got on the course. So that, that, so that's the link. It was, you know, I, I saw, I saw, um, I could do masters in, in radiation, radiation physics and, I'd had this interest in, innate interest in environmental protection anyway. And I'd watched this film when I was 13. And I don't recommend this to anybody to watch this film. But it was the most traumatic film I've ever seen in my life. And I'll never forget it. It was called Threads. Um, and and um, it's about, uh, it's a fictitious kind of documentary. It's a documentary, but done in a fictitious way about a nuclear bomb being dropped on Sheffield and the effects of, of the 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 population of the city it's it's awful it's an awful film but it's it, it it i just thought this is just i don't know i just felt this was such a this really interested me the whole idea of the kind of radiation effects on 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 people in the body and so that's probably why i was so interested which is a bit of a strain so it sort of spark it sort of connected with the physics it sparked your interest and there was that connection to that that film you'd seen. So, did you feel when you were when you were there at Guildford that you would that year, or I guess it was a year, you were just absolutely in the right place? Yes, definitely, definitely. Probably for the first time, it was because at the time there was uh, radiation protection advice. There wasn't many RPAs, radiation protection advisors, around. It was very easy to to get to get work uh, as a trainee RPA at that point. They just started the accredited RPA schemes. So yeah, I mean, I got it, it, in terms of the course, I got distinction and I got a prize, which is two hundred pounds, which is a huge amount of money to me at the time. <laughs> and I did a dissertation down in HMS Sultan, putting depleted uranium pellets into into the, the kind of phantom bodies to look at the effects on the uh, how, how you can monitor radiation. So I did a lot of work around that. So yeah, it was it was it was it was really interesting, and I got kind of job offers from yeah sort of was AAT at the time BNFL Atkins or WS Atkins at the time yeah that was probably the start of a proper career if you like <laughs> but it's so good isn't it when you find something that just sort of clicks and it plays to your interest and your skills and kind of gives you energy rather than sapping energy out of you yeah yeah exactly yeah and I made some good friends on the course and you still see them about because we're all in the same industry then you sort of gradually progressed into this sort of more business development role was that a sort of just like a natural next step or was there a particular opportunity that came up and you thought I'm ready for the sort of next stage or it was an opportunity it was a job. It was an internal job advert, and I, and I knew I always. I mean, I was enjoying my RPA stuff, but I always never felt as technical as everybody else without wanting to put myself down, which I do too much. And this job advert came up, and I said to my boss, uh, my, who's Mike Parker at the time, and um, I said to uh, who runs Nuvia Health Physics, I think he still does. And I said to him, do you think I, do you think I should apply? Because I thought it was for senior people who are experienced, not for people like me. And he said, oh, you should have a go. You might be, might be quite good at that. And I thought, oh, 
if he says I might be quite good at it, I'll give it a go. And I got that job. So again, it was just thinking that, sort of sensing that it might be something that I'd be quite good at then and just went for it and took a, took a bit of a risk because it's been quite a long time training to be an RPA. It takes three or four years to get your certificate. So I was just literally putting all that in the bin. So <laughs> it felt like a big on. risk. Totally. It was, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was people where it said, you'd be mad, you're mad. You've spent all that time studying and got your accreditation. Your chart, you know, was chartered of such of the, what's it, Society of Radiation Protection chartered member. And I was literally just picking it all up and putting it in the bin and just going to do something completely different. So it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a risk. Because, you, I mean, one thing I've noticed about you're very good with people and you're very natural with people. And, and I suppose part of a business development role is you're interacting with people maybe in different organizations and so on and trying to see things from their perspective and what are the needs and how does it fit with the capability so that those people skills are probably have been really useful and, and important for you in that that role i wish i'd known that was important that's what i wish i'd known at the start that it's important to to everyone you speak to is a human being and actually being interested in them and and their family and what they like to do at weekends is is they rather talk about everyone would rather talk about that than work even if that's the most important senior client in the world um and being able to kind of empathize with people and just be normal and and is that that you can do business and just be normal with people and so that was really important and were there any particular were there any particular examples that you can think of where that really made a difference? There was one and I went to a nuclear site <laughs> and there was a, 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 a project and I, I had to speak to the project engineer to get some feedback. <gasps> and did I get, did I get feedback? It was, a, it was, you know, there was real issues between the two teams at the time and the design, etc. And I got it really in the neck you know like we wouldn't deal with your company yeah you get you get i mean it's and you, you sort of investigate and understand that actually what's gone wrong and it's there's there's you know you don't there's no point in laying blame etc and and trying to kind of see it as something to start a more positive relationship but yeah it's it's really hard to kind of empathize when you're in a hard situation and you're not you're you know not it's not personal but you're you're there's been this bad kind of relationship or a project that hasn't gone well and you're at the you're at the receiving end basically and were you able to turn any of those situations around at all oh yeah i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure yeah you know you you, you become a you 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 have to go backwards and forwards and then you, you know just as long as you empathize and people can trust you it's all about being trusted isn't it to, it's okay to listen and understand someone's point of view and even if you don't have the answers, that's 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 just listening and understanding and nodding and it's, that's it's a right. good thing. <laughs> yeah, and then following up on it, as you said. And following up, yeah, yeah. It's just building trust. Is if you've got the trust with somebody, then you've got you've got everything really. I learned quite a lot on that business development role. I mean, I was I was tasked with business development across Magnox, you know, the whole of the Magnox estate. I thought oh, I have no idea. I didn't have one contact. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what the challenges are. I didn't know the organisation structure, how the procurement routes. I had to start completely from scratch. <laughs> so, so um, it, that, yeah, that was really scary. That was in but, at the deep yeah, end. Though. I remember it was so difficult in those days to, to 
for me to sell into decommissioning that I would have met with a cleaner if it had meant I could I could get on site I would have met that sound yeah I would have met with I don't know uh, I would have met with anybody just to chat to, to just to chat to them I didn't you know even if it, I wasn't going to get a contract from that person just to learn yeah so I wasn't just to sort of find my way but yeah so yeah so if you compare yourself if you compare yourself at the sort of start of that with the person who was then seconded into government you know you must have changed considerably from being feeling that you were completely in at the deep end to somebody who actually had a network was able to phone up people and go and see them and develop develop business that role that bdm role uh, with nuvia um it, it did build me a, a good network of, of of people that that i have still still know and i could still ring up even if i haven't spoken to them for five six years or whatever it would be fine because we had good relationships and people don't forget yeah when i went into into government i knew a lot of people and, and I, it was just magnox i i was really lucky actually because yeah i had three babies <laughs> I'm trying to think all pretty much all when I was doing that role or there or thereabouts. And each time I went on maternity leave and came back, I got a new account. So I started off with Magnox and I had one baby and then I came back and then I was looking at facing into AWE and then I went away and I came back and then I went to government. So I did some bits at Sellafield as well. So I kind of got dotted around kind of got no bits of the industry. <laughs> So how, how did you how did you find that time and balancing your family time and work? It must be it must have been very challenging. I was off just for the shortest amount of time on maternity leave because I didn't. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was I, I was a restless person and I appreciated the time off with the babies, but I was always keen to get back. But yeah, I mean it was incredibly challenging. I, I remember driving down to Devonport Dockyards. At one point with, I've got, I don't know where I left my child. <laughs> I can't remember. But I was just, <laughs> I was like feeding her like biscuits, passing her Farley's rusks in the back while I'm trying to like, trying to frantically think about what I'm going to say. I've just got these memories. Yeah, the juggling you do is incredible, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've had, um, yeah, I kind of, I lose track. But it's, it's massively difficult when they're really, really young. You need support. You need your family around, and my my mum and my dad used to, to to have my eldest at that point and help out with with childcare while I went off to to Russia, you know. <laughs> so I used to go off, yeah, and leave and leave her when and um and and for about a week at a time. So that was quite difficult. I don't think I would change it going back though. I think I would keep working. I don't think I would take a long time off because you just you just get left behind. Um, so I'm glad I didn't. I don't think I regret it. They seem to have come through it unharmed. They seem quite happy and well balanced. My daughter doesn't sort of come to me. Why did you go to, off to Russia those, all those times when I was one year old? You know, she doesn't. She doesn't remember. So I think I think I've got away with it. <laughs> when you were in um, working in government, how did you find that different to working in industry? And with the business development role it's so different to industry i mean you it's it's the single best thing i ever did is take that as a comment i had no idea how, how how government worked i mean it's such a complicated beast and 
the, the civil servants are, are absolute masters in, in managing stakeholders and managing people and making sure they feed the right message to the right people across Whitehall to make something happen. And it's this, this complex web that you have to navigate and, and they're masters at it. I, it's, I mean, the, the people in, 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 in well, it's busy at the time, it's based now, of course, but I used to, I'd just be absolutely stunned at the complexity of, of the environment and they operate in. Whereas in my old life, it was just like, there's some, there's some work, we need to go and win that. And how do we win it? We develop the relationships with the right people. So, but then you enter this whole new world and the commercial world, you have the pressures of every, you know, I had a 10, if you have a 10 minute call to a customer, we have to charge the customer for that call and I have to fill it in on a time sheet, etc. So you don't have all of that pressure, but it was the best thing I ever did. Yeah, it was all about um, sort of nuclear industrial policy. So at the time, Hinkley was, was, was starting to let their big tier one contracts. It was trying to understand you know, what, what, what work was coming to the UK and how we, what we could do to, to get as much work into the UK and to UK businesses as possible and how government can support that. So as you can imagine how interesting that was. What did you learn about yourself or, or how do you think you developed during that uh, that time uh so i worked with with a with a chap that you probably know dominic scullard oh yes and dominic well who who really he knows he still does really knows his way around base and and how to make things happen and i i learned that that i wanted to be i, well, I was a sort of person that was always going to be in the thick of it trying to make something happen always want to see things happen and and make and you know actually something changes as a result of me being there so not you know not standing on the outside and and observing and providing comment but actually the one that's get in there kind of making mistakes and making a mess of things but actually trying to make things happen and I'm not suggesting we made a mess of things but we we were both I think very much in the same mindset on on try, we wanted to make a difference and and so I learned that that's probably where I, I I best sat rather than on the outside sort of you know and and that's what counts is being being in the thick of it even if you make loads of mistakes <laughs> that's okay and you know and not worrying too much because you can't you can't make something happen uh, or make a big difference unless you make mistakes so I think that's probably and I and I've learned that I still I will never in a whole lifetime understand really how government works <laughs> because it's so complicated. Um, it's so interesting. So, so is that sort of wanting to make a difference? Do you think that's one of your big sort of motivators for what you do that kind of gives you energy? It, I mean, I know we're all small cogs in a big machine, aren't we? Um, but if I was a cog that was actually it, part of that, that whole machine that made that difference, and if it, that cog was taken out and the machine would have broken down, then that's that's success to me. I think that's I think that's really good. It really resonates with me because I, I you know, talking to someone the other day and saying every year I want to look back and think, what difference did I make? And actually having some tangible examples is always important yeah. to me and yeah. really important to you as well. Oh, it's everything to me. Yeah, it's the reason I go to work. I think, but well, yeah. I, I know it is. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's it's every day, and I I learn. I, I don't know. I, I know now that if I if I sit in front of the computer and um, you know some things you have to do. You know, there's there's things that you have to do. But um, 
you know, this, this work I'm doing or this work I'm picking up, is this going to make the difference? Is this mm. going to do something mm. ultimately, or is this just going to end up on a shelf or just be inconsequential? So yeah, that's, that's no, probably that's the only reason I go to that. work. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. So. so, so looking back on your, your sort of younger self who was, uh, sort of enjoying physics or was you know thinking about doing physics and surviving physics surviving <laughs> phys um, and going to Swansea what what would be the one piece of advice you'd you'd give her um well this is quite it should be an easy question because my daughter's 17 now and deciding what she wants to do so I so well, not worry don't worry about it you're 17 18 it's just, just you've got so much time and you don't realize that i was always panicking going oh, i've got to go to university i've got to get a degree because that's what you're supposed to do like i would have just don't worry about it just do, just do what you like just do what you enjoy doing but uh, really understand your options because you don't know do you you don't know how you you don't know the options that you've got until you're, you're halfway through your life and and you just don't know so just take some time to really work out what 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 it's, a, it's really obvious stuff isn't it but where work out what you want to do and actually going back to the the, the human side of what what role you play in an organization don't just think about the the, the how how good you are technically or at something you know but think about your personality and what that suits because you could have a role that suits you know your technical skills but if it doesn't suit your personality then it's not it's not going to be which is where i was it it's not you're not going to be that happy so it's all about where the role you play in you know and who you are and you probably don't most people don't realize that what's important i don't know in an organization it's more the person who they are and how easy they are to talk to and how well they respond to i don't know how well you can trust people that rather than your your, your technical brilliance if you like so I think that's probably where I, I I would yeah what I'd be thinking about now if I could if I could do it again I think it's really, it is really good advice it's just, it's very similar to the advice I was asked the same question and I said pretty much the same thing it's all about people I think that's why I go to work really that's why I I, I, I like learning about people and understanding the kind of that's what you're doing here isn't it the backstory so I wouldn't be able to do something where uh, I shut myself away and write reports or whatever. <laughs> it's not you. <laughs> no, no. It is for some people, but, oh, but it's is, not yeah. for everyone. So. No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's really good advice, Caroline. And thank you so much for your time. No, it's Chat okay. through uh, life lessons, I guess, and um, finding the right thing in the right place for, for you. So thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.